You are listening to an audio resource produced by Faith Presbyterian Church in Anchorage, Alaska. If you would like to learn more about the life and ministry of Faith Presbyterian, you can do so by visiting us online at faithanchorage.org. Well, again, welcome to Faith Presbyterian Church. Little theologians, I'm talking uh, this morning about uh, deacons. Our church has two kinds of uh, official officers, uh, leaders in the church that we believe Jesus has set aside to minister in his church between now and his second coming. And so we treat, we treat these men seriously. We, uh, we pray over them. We lay hands on them. We ordain them to acknowledge that they exercise their authority by the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. They are uh, elders and they are deacons. And this morning I'm talking about a deacon and I want you to draw a picture of a deacon. And the way you'll draw a picture of a deacon is you'll actually draw a picture of a waiter. Just a waiter. Maybe you can draw the kitchen where the waiter is going to get the food and then maybe you draw people sitting in the restaurant who are uh, receiving the food. So that's what I'd like for you to draw as, uh, as little theologians. Uh, the passage that we'll be looking at this morning is from Romans chapter 7. And ordinarily, uh, I like to uh, preach just straight through a particular scripture, but you're going to notice that, that I'll be skipping about uh, looking at various scriptures as we try and produce some discernible picture of what a deacon is so that you can then recognize them in your midst. But we'll start with Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. So that's where you should open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you wave your hand, Luke will get you a Bible. Because we're going to be, going, we're going to be looking at, uh, at a variety of scriptures, and there's, there's a couple of key deacon scriptures. So uh, if you need a Bible, uh, Luke will, will get one for you. Uh, Romans 7, uh, verses uh, 1 through 6 is what we want to look at. Let's, uh, let's pray real quickly. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. By your spirit, would you teach us through it? Would you make me small and make your word large? In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. This is uh, Romans uh, chapter 7, uh, verse, uh, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Uh, this is the word of our Lord. 
As I said, I want to talk this morning about the ministry of a deacon, and what we'll be doing essentially is we'll just be kind of doing a, a little mini survey of the New Testament church. We'll, we'll begin around uh, 34 AD, uh, around the time of the crucifixion of our Lord, uh, and then we'll, we'll work our way to maybe 61, 62 AD. So we're going to kind of look at this 30-year uh, period, uh, and we're going to examine how this office of the diaconate uh, grows and actually flourishes in the New Testament church. And when we think about the, the word deacon, it, it really does occur a lot in Scripture. And at its most basic meaning in the Greek, it, it it refers to an assistant of some sort. And this assistant is engaged in transactions. They're, uh, they're, they're servants, not as in generally servants. They're servants in that they have something to serve. And so deacons are these masters of transaction. They, they take the gifts and resources of the church and they distribute those gifts and resources. And deacons live their life in that area of transaction as a waiter or even as a uh, courier sometimes in classical uh, Greek literature. And uh, our church tradition here, uh, as a part of the Reformed church tradition, this is a Reformed church, this is a, a Presbyterian church, um, when we understand that role of a deacon, we believe that scripture of the 90 to 100 or so uses of the word, sometimes scripture is going to use the word deacon in a general sense, in a sense that applies to everyone out of their profession of faith in Christ Jesus. As a Christian, everyone is that kind of deacon. As a Christian, you are called to serve your brothers and sisters. You are called to be generously disposed to them. You are called to minister to them, to care for them in their needs. Every Christian is called to do that. And so uh, we see that there is a general use of that word, uh, deacon. Uh, John 12 is a good example. Listen to what our Lord says. He says, whoever serves me, that's a deacon word, uh, must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. Whoever serves me must follow me. That's every Christian. Every Christian is called to be a deacon. But, but here's where it's a little bit different. In, in our uh, theological tradition, we believe that there is also a use of the word deacon in Holy Scripture that refers not to a general application of all believers, but a technical, specific application to certain believers. It's almost like uh, this as an illustration. Summer is coming, and I know many of us are going to receive uh, guests. Uh, friends and family members are going to come and uh, visit us. And Karen and I have been in Alaska long enough to know that when guests come, you become a tour guide. It's just what happens. You, we all happen to live in a place that people love to visit. Alaska is a special state. Anchorage is a special city. And when people come, at least for Karen and I, we just feel like tour guides. A guest can be absolutely exhausting, and I know that sounds ungrateful, but, you know, it, I love having family come and visit. But we are driving all over the place. Uh, all of my family assumes that I know everything about Alaska. They assume I know everything about Alaskan history. I, I just, I don't. It's exhausting. But I'm a tour guide while they're here. And when they leave, I just go into hibernation. 
Literally, I just sleep. <laughs> so that sounds like, boy, this is a bitter pastor. I'm really not bitter. I love guests. But there, there's a sense in which you feel like a tour guide then, but you know there, there is such a thing as a professional tour guide. There are people that do this for a living, and they really do know Alaska. They really do know our city and our state, and they really do know the history. And they delight in taking people around and showing them and telling them stories. They, they really are good at it. They know what they're doing. So you see what I'm, I'm doing to you. I'm saying that sometimes you're a tour guide, but even when you're a tour guide, there's a real tour guide. And sometimes in Scripture we see the word deacon applied generally to Christians, but sometimes the deacon is a specialized deacon. Philippians 1.1 is a good example. There's just one line of text I want you to hear. Philippi, the church in Philippi was planted about 10 years before Paul is writing this letter. Okay, about 10 years. That's important. So the church has been around for 10 years, and Paul writes them, and he says this. He says in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. You hear, he's addressing all of them. To all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, elders, and deacons, diakonos, with the overseers, and the deacons. Now, I suspect that when Paul is writing this letter, he has in mind an office in the church called an elder and an office in the church called a deacon. And it may be that early on in the church at Philippi, they didn't have deacons, but over time, a church has deacons. And what we're asking you to do over this two-week period as members of Faith Presbyterian Church who are age 18 and over, we're asking you to look around in the congregation for men who might actually meet this technical quali uh, qualification of a deacon. Now, to be sure, they also meet it generally. These are men who love to serve. These are men who just instinctively are selfless and willing to help and be useful. There's certainly that, but we're asking you to consider deacons in a more technical sense. Let me tell you why I've looked at this passage from Romans chapter 7. Uh, the word in Romans 7, 6, the verse goes like this, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That word there is not the diakonos word. It's not the word for uh, a, a servant. It's a, it's a different Greek word, but here's what I want you to notice. By God's grace, a Christian is released from condemnation. Here's how Paul says that. He says that a woman who is married is subject to a law that condemns her if she commits adultery. So imagine a woman being married and there is this, this law that hovers over her that carries a power, a threat. And it says to her, if you do this, commit adultery, you will be condemned. If you do this, you will be condemned. If you do this, you will be condemned. That's the power of that law. It has a power and a force over her. But if the husband dies, the power and the force of that law goes away. The threat of that law goes away. She no longer hears this voice uh, crying into her ear, if you do this, you will be condemned. The analogy says this, because there was a death, the law cannot condemn me. Because there was a death, the law 
loses its power to condemn, loses its force to threat. So Paul says in verse 4 of this passage in Romans 7, Romans 7, 4, he says that every Christian has died to the law. This is what he means. He means that the threat of the law, the death of the law, the authority and the power, the danger and the hatefulness and the strength of the law has actually already been paid for. As fearsome as that power is, as fearsome as that condemnation is, it's already been paid for, it's already been emptied. It's a massive scary bucket, but it's already been dumped out and dealt with. That's what it means to say that I have died to the law. It means that I have already paid every possible punishment for that law. Now this is at the heart of the gospel. If you haven't heard that before, this is the heart of the gospel. That Jesus takes the power and the authority and the strength of the law to condemn and he drinks it all up over his body. And what this means to Paul is that a Christian is a special kind of individual. A Christian is freed to serve God in an entirely new way. Christ, my husband, has already died and I have died. Therefore, I am united to him in his resurrection so that I can now bear fruit for God. And that's why verse 6 says, Having been released from the law, I may serve God in a new way of the Spirit. Now, Christianity 101 is not... This is Protestant Christianity 101. But there's something special about the deacon because a deacon serves in such a way that they display what it means to belong to Christ in this way. A deacon serves in such a way that they show what it means to not be under the threat of condemnation. A deacon doesn't serve because they're pressured by God's law. A deacon doesn't serve to show how important service is in the church. A deacon doesn't serve to show how good they are at serving. A deacon serves to show how wonderful it is to belong to God. This is a gift to the church. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.11. That these servants in the church are gifts to the church. And I want you to hear from me this morning four characteristics or qualities about a deacon. And I, I will go quickly here. But keep in mind we're doing a little bit of church history work. The first thing that I want you to hear is this, is that a deacon's service is spiritual. It's spiritual. Now, of course, we've already looked at Romans 7 verse 6 where we learn that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. You know, one way to serve God is purely out of legal compliance. Fear of threat. However, we're adopted as his son. And in that adoption, we have a perfect father who loves us more than any earthly father has ever loved us or ever could love us. And his love for us is eternal. And he draws us to himself into his very presence. We're his children. And so when we look at the service of a deacon, we acknowledge that this deacon is serving not out of threat of condemnation. They're participating in this wonderful relationship. You know, you'll think this a little bit of a silly illustration, and I've, I've probably used this before. I have uh, been, I've sat at a table in a restaurant and, and been served by a good friend of mine. Again, I've I, I told you this before. 
And you, you know what I mean, and I'm not trying to be overly touchy-feely here, but you, you know that you have been helped by someone who is doing it purely for professional reasons. They're doing it because there's a paycheck attached to it, or there's some, there's some tip or something that they get as a result. They're doing it as a function of their job. They're doing it because their manager's watching. But every now and again, you can sense that someone really sincerely cares about you. And they're helping you not out of, a, out of uh, satisfying some kind of legal compliance, but they're helping you because they care for you. And what we're looking for in the work of a deacon is we're looking for a man who just has this ability to serve in such a way that we see this is evidence of the Spirit working in him. There's a relationship barrier that has been broken in that person's life to such a degree that they're not afraid of their service to you. They're not afraid that it's going to be imperfect. They're not afraid that it's not going to be enough. They're not afraid that they're going to be chastised by some law for not serving you. They dive into this relationship with you because Christ dove into a relationship with them. And you just, you see it, you feel it, you experience it, you taste it. Now Romans, uh, the letter Romans was written around A.D. 57. There's this wonderful connection that happens in uh, several years earlier than that, in AD 34, this connection between the ordinary work of the deacon and the special work of the deacon. That is, just a deacon is an ordinary Christian and a deacon in a technical sense. And if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, you'll find the second big deacon passage in Scripture. And this takes place when the church is very, very young. Jesus has just ascended into heaven. And we're looking at a date around AD 34, and we get this scene in Acts chapter 6, and it turns out that in the church in Jerusalem, widows are being neglected. And they're being neglected in the daily distribution. Every day, they are neglected. Doesn't that sound terrible? It's the daily distribution that they're missing out on. So every day, the church looks ugly to them. Every day, Jesus looks ugly to them. Every day, they're being neglected in the daily distribution. And not only that, it's a particular group of people that seem to be singled out, and they're Greek speakers, and so there's this hint of racism as they are neglected in the daily distribution, and all of this is dangerous because this is a body of people that are extremely vulnerable. They're extremely vulnerable. And then on top of all of this, the elders are being distracted from what they're supposed to be doing, and that is uh, devoting themselves to a ministry of word and devoting themselves to prayer for the body. And we read in Acts chapter 6 that there are certain men who need to be picked out to be able to step in and serve these widows. They need to make sure that no one is neglected on a daily basis. And these men are called out. And these men should be wise. These men should be willing. But look at uh, Acts 6, verse 3. Look what it says. They're men who are full of the Spirit. They're full of the Spirit. And maybe when you see someone in the church, a man who, who gives so selflessly, maybe you just say they're really, really good givers. And what you ought to say is it's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. This is a man filled with the Spirit. So the role of an elder, it's, it's, it's a service that is spiritual. Let me move on. It's also a service that is exemplary. A service that's exemplary. We just looked at Acts chapter 6, A.D. 34. Let's skip forward to the year A.D. 55. And Paul's wrapping up his ministry in Ephesus. And he's writing to a church that he planted four years ago. 
This is important. Four years ago, he planted this church. And he's, he's writing a letter to that church. The church is the church uh, in uh, Corinth. And I want you to open your Bibles to not 1 Corinthians 8, but 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. Can you open your Bibles or um, find that on your phone or iPad? This church was planted probably for, uh, 40... Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, this uh, uh, church was uh, uh, planted... Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place in my notes. Uh, this church is four years old, and Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's going to cite another church as he writes to them. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. Look at this, this passage with me, please. 2, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Okay, these are different churches. He's writing in Corinth, but he's talking about those churches up north in Macedonia. Philippi is probably a church he's talking about. Verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they have given according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor... Look at that. That's the word for grace, charis, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, Macedonia is north of the Corinthians, and I have to say, I'm reading a book right now in which the people in uh, southern Achaia had strong feelings about the people up north in Macedonia. The people in Macedonia looked different. They spoke different. They had darker skin. Their faces had a different shape. They were not the kind of people that you wanted to hang out with, according to folks in Achaia. And Paul is citing the Macedonians, and he's saying, you know, that church up there, those people in Philippi, that is a church that seems to be filled with deacons. Can you imagine a church filled with deacons? And if you were a part of a church that, would, that had a strong diaconal ministry, I think this is what your church would look like. This church in Philippi. Now, we just read Philippians 1.1, writing to the Philippians, and he addresses both elders and deacons. And do you think that when Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he says, look at those people up north, he's saying, look at that church that has elders and deacons. Look at that church. And they end up standing out as a great example. And I'm curious if that example of a diaconal ministry is exactly what happened to that church in Macedonia. Philippi, Macedonia. The grace of God working on a man's life through exemplary service is going to be noticed by others and it's actually be, he'll actually be followed by others. A church with strong deacons is a church filled with diaconal ministry. So deacons, uh, deacon service is spiritual, it's exemplary, it stands out, stands out to Paul. A deacon service is also uh, collective. This, a little, this is a little bit different, this is the third point. Uh, these Macedon Macedonian churches are gathering together their meagre financial resources and they're distributing them, right? They're scraping together pennies and nickels and they're distributing them. You can kind of see the waiter, right? The kitchen is scrounging up some, something for the guests, they've come in late. But the church has more than just financial resources. 
Over and over again in Scripture, we are told that the church is filled with gifts that come from God. And for this, I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. And again, we have time for this. Just, just listen to this passage. Romans 12, beginning at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, right? Whole church, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then listen to this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse 6. Having gifts, okay, that's all of us, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. The church at Philippi scraped together pennies and nickels and appointed deacons to distribute these pennies and nickels. But everyone here this morning is wealthy in Christ. Everyone here this morning is wealthy in Christ. Everyone here has been given gifts. And everyone here is called to use those gifts to serve one another. Let us use them. Over and over and over again, a church is called to serve with gifts. And if a deacon is a waiter who distributes monetary gifts, then they certainly have some role in distributing the spiritual gifts among the congregation. Deacons understand that they belong to God and that they are free to give generously. And they look out among the congregation and they see gifts that can be distributed to the body. And they help us use these gifts to serve one another. The church just like their own bodies, the church belongs to Jesus and has been blessed by Jesus in receiving a multitude of gifts. And deacons have to be insightful to see these spiritual gifts, to collect these pennies and nickels and distribute them for the purposes of the entire body. That is the ministry of a waiter. The, the fourth point. A deacon's service is spiritual, it's exemplary, it's collective, it involves all the gifts of the people, and a deacon's service is dignified. I'm going to say very little about this, but you can look in your Bibles at 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Here are specific qualifications. Paul says these are qualifications for an elder, and here are qualifications for a deacon. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 is where the qualifications of a deacon begin. Now, if you go to our website, I've, I've outlined these qualifications that you can uh, help to discern these as you look around the congregation. Real quickly, a deacon must be reverent, honorable. They have to be dignified. They're the kind of people that you just don't have to make a lot of excuses or allowances for. And they're not double-tongued. They're, the, they're the kind of guys that can be honest and sincere because they're just careful in their speech. They don't judge too quickly, and they don't affirm too quickly. They're really good listeners. Paul says that they're not indulgent in much wine, and that's to be sure. The deacon should not be uh, addicted to uh, or overcome with a desire for alcoholic beverages. But I think Paul is talking more about alcohol, and he's saying that there is no habit that a deacon should be addicted to or have a huge desire for. 
When Paul uses the word for addiction to wine, I think he's talking about uh, all of those things that just have this strange, uh, powerful temptation. Money is a part of that. Tobacco is a part of that. Television, internet, food. Deacons are the, be the kind of people that aren't indulgent. They're moderate. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. And this, this certainly applies to money. They're not greedy to... Uh, take money for their own personal purposes, but it also applies to other things that they might be greedy about. Status, reputation, praise from the congregation. They're not greedy for dishonest gain, and they behold the they hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. You know, it's more along the lines of an elder to sit and study theology. A, a deacon is probably not going to be as interested in that as an elder. But a deacon understands enough about the gospel to know that it impacts how we live. It's not just something I believe. It actually is, is spun out in my life in some way. And, and a deacon has a good conscience about how the gospel works to inform life in such a way that there's a consistency between what they believe and how they behave. And then they're proven blameless even amidst testing. A deacon looked like a deacon before you called him a deacon. Do you know what I mean by that? They looked like a deacon before... before you, you didn't make them a deacon. It was there. It was there. It was a part of their life. Before they serve in an official capacity, they, they've actually been blameless throughout their lives, and they, they've had these gifts for a long time. If a deacon is married, they're a one-woman man. They're faithful, adoringly faithful, to their wife. And if a deacon has children, a household, then he manages that household well. The qualities that are in him are qualities that he seeks to develop in his household. And if a deacon, uh, ha for a deacon's wife, that wife has to be worthy of respect. She too must be dignified and honorable. She has to be the kind of woman that you want other Christian young women in the church to look like and emulate. And if the deacon is married, the deacon's wife can't be a malicious talker. A deacon's ministry is occupied by sensitive matters, and it's important that a deacon's wife not tolerate slander or wicked speech, even in the slightest. She has to understand that she may occasionally be privy to information that she can't bring up again or act upon. The deacon's wife has to be temperate. You know, the deacon's self-control is described as self-control amidst massive temptation, alcohol, money. But it's a different word used here. A deacon's wife needs to be self-controlled in just the ordinary aspects of life. She just needs to be a level-headed woman in all areas of life. And then she has to be faithful in all things. She has to be faithful and dependable not only in her Christian walk, but also in her role as a wife as a mom, as a daughter, as a member of the church. The four things. A, deacon, a deacon's ministry of service is spiritual. It's exemplary. It's collective. And what we've just looked at is it's dignified. Romans 7, 6 says this, But now... But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. A Christian, you have been privileged to be drawn into an int intimate relationship with God through Christ Jesus, His only begotten Son. And now, out of that intimate relationship, having the presence of God with you always, you are able to serve Him without fear of condemnation. Your heart should just be opened wide. You have nothing to gain in this service. I'm just 
serving. And that's what a deacon does. A deacon uses their service as a display of what it truly means to belong to Christ. The sermon will be be on the website. You can listen to the sermon. But but please go there and look for the qualifications of a deacon to guide you through that process and also instructions on how to nominate a man to serve as a deacon of our church. Let me pray for us as we come to the table. Our Father, we do love you and we strive to love you more and we can only do this by your grace. You've reached out to us. You've drawn us to yourself and it is our cantankerous heart that holds us back. Oh, Heavenly Father... Humble us gently. Continue to nurse us as a careful father. And we thank you for giving to us elders and deacons who model that nurturing care in their lives, whether they know it or not. And Father, we pray that you would bring to us more men to serve in this capacity. That we would be a church hungry for the the heart of Christ as it's displayed to us in our elders and deacons. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.